I think had had I won in Sydney, maybe I would have retired. You know, I don't know um, because there's not much. There's nothing. What can you? What more can you do other than win a gold medal in your hometown? We're gonna go out on the field. We're gonna score as many goals as we can. We're gonna have fun. Oh, Becky, you're well placed. Every year, since 1908 for the men and 1992 for the women, athletes have taken their marks at the starting line and walked their fastest on the world's biggest sporting stage. Race walking is a long-distance discipline that requires an incredible, difficult-to-execute combination of speed, endurance, and technique. Race walkers are trying to go as fast as possible while also trying to make sure that one, one foot is in contact with the ground at all times, and two, that their supporting leg is straight from the point of contact with the ground and remains straight until their whole body passes directly over it. You're trying to visualize it in your head, right? Well, if you're conjuring up a rigid but also loosey-goosey sort of image, yeah, that's decently accurate. Race walking can look kind of peculiar. It is known by many casual viewers as a funny-looking sport. For many, out of more curiosity than disrespect, I hope, the question comes to mind, how does someone even get into race walking? Yeah, absolutely. That's probably the most popular question that I get asked. This is Jane Saville. She is a former Olympic race walker. Um, well, in Australia, where I grew up, uh, athletics as a popular sport has great history. Um, and uh, what started in the 70s, I think it was, was a thing called Little Athletics. And it's athletics for young kids. So it started, um, I started when I was about four, four years of age in athletics. And it's just a sport for, for young kids between, they've grown the ages, but back then it was from sort of five-year-olds, four or five-year-olds up until about 12 or 13-year-olds. And it was athletics for young kids. And it was all modified events. Um, and I, it, what we would do at the club that I went to, you go there on a Saturday and you just, just participate in, in all the events. And so you'd have an age marshal that would take you to, to the shop port and then the next event would be the 100 metres, the next event would be the 800. And that's what, how I started. Um, and I started to train as well and I did sprinting and um, all the events, like I just participated in all of them every Saturday morning and, and I really liked it. I've, I've got one of my best friends that I met at Little Athletics you know, back in 1978, 79. And so, um, you know, it was just a way of life. I, I did lots of sports growing up. I, I was a competitive swimmer, made it to national level age group swimming um, and did them together, athletics and, and swimming. And just um, obviously when you're good at something, I was better at long distance running and, and race walking and little athletics. And I made it to the state championships when I was in under nines and I think I came ninth or 10th and then under 10s, I think I came sixth. And so I thought, oh, wow, maybe, you know, the next year I could get a medal or something. And the next year I came out of the blue and I won it. And it was just a, a shock to me as well. I didn't think I'd go, get anywhere. Um, I didn't think I'd win. I was hoping to get a medal. And um, I was like, wow, I trained, but, you know, not too much because I was doing so many sports. And I think that was the, the, the great thing about it was my parents just 
wanted to give me my mum when she was younger wanted to play so many sports and they didn't have the money to do it you know and um so she had to choose one sport and she chose swimming and she wanted to do tennis as well and she wanted to play netball and she couldn't do it so when we were younger um my sister and I who's four years younger than me they wanted to give us every opportunity and so they would drive us everywhere um you know to, to participate and I remember coming home from a uh, a physical culture it's a, a sport in Australia that's um, flexibility and, and sort of dance it's a mix of, of different things and I didn't enjoy it I wasn't I just didn't like it and I cried coming home and, and my mum said what's wrong and I said I don't want to do it anymore and I was like okay one off the list you know <laughs> you don't have to do that anymore so I just you know obviously and when you go well at sport it's nice to you stick with it you know success if you get a medal or, or you get a little bit of encouragement um, you stick with it and, and I think the philosophy in, in our house was you just had to give 100%. And my mum my mom and dad didn't care. Um, they're, they're very sport-oriented. Both of them played growing up. My dad played rugby league um, in Sydney for uh, second grade. He made it to sort of the second tier um, with a, a famous rugby league team in Sydney. And they just wanted us to be active. And so basically that's how I – and I just drifted to it. And I didn't compete specifically only in race walking until I actually uh, – finished university and it was 1995 and I'd made some Australian teams but I was still swimming um, and doing surf lifesaving which is a sport on the beach in Australia it's not surfing on a board but it's doing swimming and and running and and paddling on a board and I was doing that um, which I made a little bit of money out of because I made a a professional series so I was thinking wow should I do try and focus on that 100% because I just finished university but the next year was the Olympic Games and my my mum said, well, you know, you could focus on surf lifesaving, but, you know, if you really focus, maybe you could make the Olympics in Atlanta. And the other option was, you know, quit it all and go and get a full-time job, which I wasn't really excited about because I was going to do that for the rest of my life. So, um, so I applied to sort of get a partial scholarship at the Australian Institute of Sport. And um, which meant like I went down there in blocks. So I'd go down there for a couple of months and that sort of really spurred me on to, to make that next step and, and really focus on race walking. And, and I made the Olympic team to go to Atlanta. And so that was when I really focused to, to, to be a race walker 100%. In a way, committing full force, full focus to this goal wasn't a difficult decision for Jane. You know, when you're good at something, as I said, you, you really enjoy, you know, success is like, wow, it's, it's, it's an ego feeder. And, and it was nice as a young kid to have success in something. And it wasn't easy because, um, especially as a teenager, when I had to train, a lot of the time I had to train by myself or my mum had helped me out or, or, and I was trying to juggle, you know, so many different sports. I'd sort of go, go race walking training in the afternoon. I couldn't go to where my coach was. So I just trained by myself. And it, sometimes it was difficult and I didn't want to do it. And, and being a teenager, there's so many, well, there's more now, but there were, there were lots of distractions and a lot of my friends didn't do sport. But I think what kept me going was my, my support from my family, you know, that they said, you know, you've got an opportunity to do something here um, that, you know, could be great. And if you didn't, you didn't. But, you know, you may as well see it to the end. So for the next decade and a half, Jane was wholly wrapped up in the sometimes misunderstood community, culture and world of race walking. Race walkers are kind of bonded even tighter by the uniqueness of the sport. We have a very close knit of passionate race walkers from all over the world, you know, um, and and I think that's 
that's our strength. And even more so nowadays with, with the, the social media and everything, you can connect so much easier with people from all around the world. I remember when I was younger and I, I came over for World Junior Championships to Europe and it was 1990 and I got to go to Bulgaria. The wall was just falling in, 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 in Berlin and it was a crazy experience for me to do that. But I remember going to, to Great Britain and they used to have these um, athletics magazines. And so I subscribed to this magazine. My mum said, yes, I'll get it for you. And so every, it was delayed. Obviously, it took a couple of weeks. Every, every The weekly magazine would be a couple of weeks late. But that's how I got results. And I'd be so excited to see where the race walking results were or if there was an article on race walking. And now there's that connection you know, online, on Instagram or, or whatever, Facebook, there's groups that you can connect with. And I think having that now for, for especially athletes in, in, a, in a, an event like race walking, to know that you've got people around the world and we really come together and support each other. We're, we're a really close-knit. Jane was surrounded by other race walkers and Australia's best athletes during the height of her career as she trained at Australia's Institute of Sport. So I lived on site like in a dormitory style, um, had my own bedroom, but they provided all meals, all physio, all medical issues that I, need, I needed, I could get treatment for, um, psychological, uh, uh, there was sports psychologists there, everything was there on site. So it was great. So and I was actually working part-time as well during that time. But the good thing about it was that we had a good training group and, you know, we were training anywhere between... I don't know, 100 kilometres to 240 kilometres a week. Or like 60-ish to 150-ish miles per week. You know, the longest walk I ever did was 36 kilometres, I think. It said 35, 36 kilometres in one session. So that took about three hours um, and a little bit more. Um, and I trained twice a day, uh, five days a week and maybe Thursdays and Sundays I'd have that off. But then some days I'd actually do three sessions in the day if it included a gym session. We do gym two to three times a week as well, like do strength and conditioning. Race walkers have very specific muscle groups that they are trying to strengthen. Well, you know, it's different from running. You need good upper body strength because your arms actually help drive you and core strength, obviously. Um, the other thing is like you've got to really, it's not even having the strength, but it's engaging glutes and, and you know, lots of uh, race walkers have problems with their hamstrings. That's I've, I'm sitting here cross-legged because I can't sit on a seat for too long and, and it's a habit that I've had for, you know, 15 years now that I sit cross-legged most of the time because otherwise my hamstring aches. I've got like this issue and lots of race walkers have hamstring issues at the end of their, their towards the end of their career, if not earlier. Um, so, yeah, really strengthening up the smaller muscles and having that flexibility in, in, in your, your hips and, and being able to, to I suppose, it, it's all over body strength, but definitely more upper body than running. But obviously, you don't want to be too strong in the upper body, but you do use it. And, you know, using your, your, your stomach muscles, your obliques, um, to, to, because you're using your hips, you're driving your hips forward and back. So, and you want to stride out. So you need that flexibility, but you also need strength in, in your legs and your hamstrings and your glutes. Yeah. I was going to say like, visually, I always see like so much happening with the hips, <laughs> with the hips and it feels painful for the hips. But. Yeah. I, look, I don't think any elite sport is good for anybody because we do it too much, too, too much of elite sport. But um, yeah, look, it's, I remember we were training initially um, before the, or just after the 2004 Olympics, the next year. So it was the year before the Winter Olympics that were being held in, in Italy in Sestriere and we were training on the mountain there. And the Jamaican bobsled team were there training, um, doing some summer training. We were there in the summer. 
and just, you know, checking out the place. And they had these, they had Fiat as a sponsor. They had Kodak as a sponsor because, you know, everything sort of after Cool Runnings, you know, it was a fair while after, but still it was, they were still, you know, if they and they made the Olympics. So they were a big topic of conversation. And we met them and we were talking to them. And a few of them were ex-runners, ex-sprinters. And they said, oh, what, what are you doing here? What, what do you do? And we said, oh, we're, we're training. We're, we're race hookers. And they said, oh, yeah, the sexy bum sport. And we went, my sister was training with me and some of the Italians. And they said, yes, that's what it is. That's what we said. That. Yes, that's what it is, the sexy bum sport. Early on, ever since Jane's career as a pro sexy bum sport athlete had taken off, she was looking ahead to the Sydney Olympics her home Olympics. Now, what transpired at Jane Savile's 2000 Games is forever memorialized in Olympic history. The stuff of highlight reels and stories you tell your grandkids, uh, maybe with some stuff bleeped out. It kind of made her famous or infamous. But a lot of people don't know all the things that happened before that moment. Going into Sydney, Jane was one of the top 10 or so fastest race walkers in the world. She had set the Australian record in Europe earlier that year. Everything was going according to plan. But then she got injured. Her first real time being significantly injured. She had to stop race walking for the entire months of June and July in the year 2000. Luckily, Australia, because it's in the Southern Hemisphere, was hosting the games in September. Jane did keep very fit by swimming, but she wasn't able to do her sport in the couple of super anxious, important months to the lead up of the games. I was pretty proud of myself because I'd made the start line because there were times during that that the injuries and the months leading into it that I didn't think I'd even be able to get on the start line. I was really thinking I'm going to be embarrassed. I'm going to come last in front of all my family and friends and just a lot of pressure mentally as well as physically the 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 um the, the difficulties dealing with um an injury but the mental pressure thinking this is my hometown olympics and everyone was so excited about the olympics you know i was at the the ais the capital for for sport in australia and everyone was counting down. I remember sitting in the physios and I said six weeks until the, to the day. I was like the hour almost. I think six weeks and two hours I was in the physio and I said, this nightmare will be over. Like I'm so sick of this. You know, it's just been a horrible lead up. And so to get on the start line, knowing that I was in actually really good shape, I was I was pretty happy with that. And so when I got to the part where I was actually leading the race and, you know, there was three of us that were first, second and third and there was a Chinese girl that got disqualified and I'm thinking, wow. She's gone, okay, I could get second here. This is exciting. And then the Italian girl got disqualified with about two two or three kilometres to go. And I'm thinking, my goodness, I could win this. This is, you know, and my nan and pop were in the ground. Well, they were outside on the, the course. My mom, my cousins, and they'd never seen me race a race like this before. And so, and and my husband, my my um, who's my husband now, but he was my fiance at the time. He was there on the course and he competed in cycling at the, the Sydney Olympics as well. 
and he he thought I would go well because he'd helped me out with my training plan a little bit. I had a coach, but he sort of lost the plot a little bit on the way through my injury. He'd come from Germany. He's East German. And so he's like, you know, you just got to train through it. If you can't race walk, you can't, you know. And so different mentality and, and I couldn't train. So to get to, you know, so close and I could come, I was coming towards the stadium. I could hear the roar. And I actually saw a friend of mine about 100, 200 metres before the, the tunnel. And um, I looked at her and smiled and I was like, far out, I'm going to win. And then as I came down to the tunnel, I could hear them and I'm thinking, I'm going to be like Kathy. Kathy won a gold medal. I'm going to be like Kathy Freeman, who I'd known for a number of years. We travelled in junior trips and, and for her to win the gold medal in Sydney, so much pressure on her. She was, you know, the, the golden girl. And so I was thinking, wow. And then when he came out and he looked, I could see the chief judge looking. I knew I had two red cards. Um, but... I was thinking, you know, it can. I was concentrating on my technique and I wasn't sprinting for the finish line. And he came out and I'm thinking, oh, yes, he's just ch- checking me off. And then when he came out with the red paddle, I was like, wow. I said, drop the F word and everything. And I, I was just mortified. I was embarrassed. Jane was given her third and final red card for an illegal gate and disqualified from the 20-kilometer final just meters away from winning Olympic gold. I, I just thought, what do I do? I can't go into the stadium. This is embarrassing. And I ran up the, the hill and, and back up the, the ramp. And I'm thinking, well, Matt didn't know my, my, my fiancé. He didn't know um, that I'd been disqualified because he was out on the course and I was race walking into the, the, the stadium. And, yeah, it was just sort of surreal because I'm coming down thinking this is, this is the dream. And then all of a sudden it was a dream flipped into a nightmare. And, you know, they threw a microphone, unfortunately, Channel 7 or whoever it was, I think it was Channel 7 up on the, at, when I came back up the ramp and they said, Jane, you know, what can we do for you? And I thought, what a bloody stupid question, you know, like, look, you can't do anything for me. And I said, give, a gun, give me a gun to shoot myself. And it was a stupid comment. It was flippant. And I understand that now, but I, I have to say, I never wanted to, to shoot myself or commit suicide over it because I knew, you know, you put it in perspective, but in that heat of the moment, you make these silly comments. But um, when you put it in perspective, at the end of the day, it's just sport. And I knew that. And I didn't realize the ramifications after it all as well, because I had to go back and do media and I hadn't seen Matt, my fiance. So I walked in to do the media and he was standing there. And so I had a quick chat to him. Then I did the media and then I, my mum came and met me outside the stadium to take me to my family. And I walked into this, it was a public um, sort of big tent with ca- uh, food food uh, vendors there. And people stood up and gave me a standing ovation and clapped me. And I'm thinking, but I'm the girl that got disqualified. Like I'm a loser here. And they were, no, everyone was patting me on the back. And I'm thinking, I don't understand why. And, um, you know, it was it was really sort of surreal because I felt like a, a loser and I was embarrassed and um, to the public. And I was really concerned a lot about race walking because we, we talked about before how race walking, it's very misunderstood. And, and I was worried that, you know, people would just think, oh, this is a joke, this sport. So um, I didn't want to put the message across because also the week the, the week earlier in the men's 20K, um, the Mexican sprinted past um, the Polish guy to win the men's 20K and was disqualified. But after the finish line, he was told he was disqualified because he received the third red card just before the finish and they didn't have time to dis- disqualify him before he got to the finish line. And he was actually given the red the, the red paddle as he was talking to the president of Mexico because he was a big hero. So it was a big, you know, that plus, plus my race, it wasn't great for race walking. 
And so I was, it was so many things, you know, and, and I, uh, but at the end of the day, you know, I was on, my mum's got a, a frame of me, you know, or a, a, the front page of the, the newspaper and I've got, it's an ugly photo and I hate it to this day. And people put it up all the time when, you know, it's the anniversary of the Olympics or anything from Sydney Olympics, but, you know, it, it is what it is. And that's what the Olympics are about as well. You know, it's the, the triumph and the tragedy. And I was part of that. And, and to be honest, you know, if, I'd have won. No one would probably remember me because I think there were 16 or 17 gold medalists in Sydney. I keep forgetting how many there were, whether I'd made the 17th or I can't remember, but I would have just been one of those. You know, <laughs> There were lots of gold medalists from Sydney in, in uh, from Australia. So um, I would have just been one of those from Australia, but I was the girl that got disqualified. And people remember me from, and people still tell me the stories of I was in the stadium or I remember where I was. And, and you know, 20 years later, as frustrating as it was, and 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 as I said, I put it in perspective, but it was a, an Olympic moment, I suppose. And and to it's called sport, and it's my 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 discipline of race walking is all about getting disqualified and making sure you walk within race walk within the rules. And and there's been occasions where I've picked up medals because people in front of me have been disqualified. So you know you sort of have to cop it on the chin. And and it's a very subjective sport, and we're hoping to change that with technology. Um, and, and to have things that, that can detect the loss of contact, which will be good for the future. But, um, you know, you've just got to accept these things in sport and there's always uh, people's opinions and, and that's what it is. So, you know, it sort of made me infamous in a way and it put race walking, you know, one of the, the dads from our, our training group said, I couldn't believe it. I was down the pub that night and everyone's talking about race walking. <laughs> so in a way... Something positive came out of it. People were like, oh, there's right. And, and my friend went to the States a day or two later for a conference and they were talking about the Olympics and they said, oh, how about that poor Australian, poor Australian girl that was disqualified? And he said, oh, yeah, that's my friend. And they were like, no, it's not. No, it's not. And he's like, yes, look, here's a photo with us. So, you know, it's, it, it, it's one of those historical moments in the Olympic Games and in sport that, you know, um, makes, makes it what it is. It's, it's excitement, you know. Just like the Olympics are about heartbreaking loss, they're also about inspiring comebacks. After Sydney, I was more motivated than anything, to be honest. Um, I never thought of quitting after Sydney. And I had this, this amazing support. Everyone, you know, was saying, good on you, Jane. We're so proud of you. We went to the nightclub, the, the, the Olympic nightclub in Sydney um, after that night. And they played that song, you get knocked down, but you get up again. And they dedicated it to me. I, they didn't even know I was there. I'm like, that's me. They're dedicating it to me. <laughs> you know, we dedicated this to Jane Savile. She had a hard day today. And I was like, wow. And I actually never thought after Sydney I'd quit. And so I really was motivated. And I'm thinking, well, if I had such a bad preparation leading into Sydney, and I was thinking, well, if I have a good one, you know, what could I do? And so I was really more motivated than anything. And I went to the national championships in 2001 and was disqualified again. I'd made it. I can't even remember how far. I think I made it to, I don't know, 15 kilometres disqualified. So, oh, this is frustrating. And I, I thought, well, okay, I qualified for the world championships, went to the world championships that year in Edmonton, Canada, and I didn't even make it to 10 kilometres and I was disqualified again. And so within one year, I nearly won the Olympics, then got disqualified at sort of 15K six months later, and then 12 months after the Olympics, I couldn't even make 10 kilometres of a 20-kilometre race. And that's when I really thought, you know what, I don't really think this is for me. I don't really want to do this anymore. And I sort of took some time out and I thought, what do I want to do? And at the end of the day, I just 
didn't want to look back 20 years from now, which is now, um, and think, well, I could have, would have, should have, but never did. I just wanted to have no regret. So, you know, going into to Athens, I, I I really motivated. That was, you know, that I, I thought maybe I didn't know if I was going to go on to Beijing, but I wasn't even thinking about that. This is it. This is Athens. And and I, I every session that was hard and I was by myself and I, I'd feel like crying because I was tired. I just kept pushing myself and thinking what happened in Sydney and you don't want that to happen again, but you've just got to give yourself every opportunity and have no regrets. Jane won bronze in the 20K in Athens. And well, you know, with this entire podcast, these 80 plus episodes have come to focus back on by now. Athletic retirement. Hanging up the spikes to finally walk away from a thing. The thing that made you feel really special. That made you feel so close and inside the gamut, the highs and lows of being a human. Shortly after the Beijing Olympics, her fourth games, Jane made the decision to retire. And it was never my plan, you know, as a, as a female athlete, you know, if you want to have kids and be an athlete, it can be quite difficult. And, and this is the thing that, that female athletes are always juggling. And it's, then you've got the kids aspect and then you've got the job aspect as well. And, and it's, it's all these balls that you try and juggle at the same time. So I knew that I was too selfish to have children while I was an athlete. I just couldn't dedicate. And, and I, there's some women that could do it. And, and the, the girl that got uh, silver in or bronze in silver, I think, in Sydney, um, Chesty Platzer from Norway, she did it. And she did it success, successfully. But I wasn't one of those people. So I knew that there was a time where I would want to stop and retire and have kids. And I wanted to dedicate have one part of my life and then dedicate to, to, to another part. And obviously I wanted to have a career as well. And I was working during my career, during my athletics career. I stopped when I started spending more time overseas and my husband was working in Europe. So I'd spend a lot more time over here, but I always, you know, I studied and I, and I was working during a, a number of years of, of my athletics career as well. So I, I never wanted to just be an athlete. Um, but I think had, had I won in Sydney, maybe I would have retired, you know, I don't know, um, because there's not much, there's nothing, what can you, what more can you do other than win a gold medal in your hometown? You know, I, I don't, I don't know. I, it's hard to say in hindsight what I would have done, but it may have changed. And, and in saying that, though, I wouldn't have had these amazing experiences of, of Athens and actually overcoming everything. And also Commonwealth Games. I got to compete at the Commonwealth Games and I was the flag bearer in at the Commonwealth Games in Melbourne in 2006 where I competed with my sister. And for most people, Commonwealth Games um, is not a huge thing that are outside the Commonwealth, um, but for, for Australians, it's a, it's a big competition and it's, it's you know, under for athletics as well. Like you've got your world championships, you've got the Olympics up there, world championships, and then, you know, Commonwealth Games is a, a big competition for, for us. Um, so, you know, to, to be successful on, on those fronts, I, I never had a really great world championship, so that was probably a disappointing part of my, my athletics, my race walking career. I, the best I ever did was a seventh place. Um, so, yeah, look, you know, I was... 2008, I was 34 and it was time, you know, my buddy was telling me time, but also I wanted to have a family career. And so, you know, push it out one more year. It was only going to be one more year or, you know, I think I, I, I did it pretty well out of myself. And so I, there was a decision to be made. The transition out of sport was a huge one, but for Jane in that immediate period, right after retirement, 
She wasn't consumed by the questions of what was she supposed to do now. When I retired, I went straight into sort of the next chapter straight away. I wanted to have kids straight away. And I was very fortunate that I fell pregnant, you know, the next year. And I had my son in November 2009. So um, I sort of just went straight from one to the other. And so I had something to keep myself occupied. Um, It's more so now I think that my kids are getting older and they understand more. And they're asking during the Olympics, they're asking me questions. And, and my daughter, she's quite inquisitive. And she was like, but, but mom, you know, during the Olympics and just asking me things about it and things that I, I sort of didn't expect. And so probably more now I miss it. This These Olympics, I think I missed it more than the others because, I don't know, I, I had young kids and that was keeping me busy. But this year, as, as much as it was a strange Olympics for, for, for the athletes, it, it, I was just... I was watching on social media and being part of the Aussie team and they have this great camaraderie. And I was like, geez, it was cool. It was so, so cool to be an athlete really and represent your country and, and be part of it all. I have to say, I haven't had a race walker on the show before. And I also haven't had a guest on who is in this phase that Jane is in post-sport. I knew about it intellectually. I've heard about it. What she articulates is a sort of delayed transition experience that has unfolded later because her quote-unquote next chapter was so tightly followed and excitedly followed by the athlete chapter. And so I think more so now, and and I retired, what do we say, 12 years ago. Jane is in Spain with her husband and her three kids who are 8, 9, and 11. She's been studying again. It's sort of hitting me more now that my kids are older and I've got more time that I can have a career that like, wow, what am I going to do here? I really need to, to and, and it, that's where it's hit me now that I studied and I've done all this work before and I had a career, I was working at a bank um, and I don't have that anymore. And so it's, it's, it's hard as a, you know, as a woman, I think as a female athlete, when you, you compete and then you have kids and then you've got, you want to have a career as well. And you, everybody wants it all and it's not always possible. But I think I'm finding that as a bit of a struggle now. Um, where do I go from here? And more so than when I retired post-athletics because I had that thing of I'm going to have kids and that sort of was my role. And we were living in Spain. So um, I wasn't stressed about getting a job. I didn't have to get a job. Um, and career-wise, it was difficult here anyway, as I said. So I'm finding that more difficult now. Um, what am I going to do? Because my here in Spain, my options are limited. And even if I went back to Australia as a 47-year-old woman, you know, it's difficult. And I, I'm t- talking to a friend now who, who who had a career and then she had some children. She's back into the workforce now. And she didn't have a, a career in sport. She just had a career as, as a normal career. And, and it's difficult for, for after having kids to, to go back anyway if you, if you don't have a big break. Um, if you do have a big break, it's difficult, sorry. Um, but as an athlete, you know, it's I, I don't know whether I could go back and start at the bottom of the pack again. Jane is figuring it out. It's been uncomfortable. It's been frustrating. Even while that Olympic medal hangs in her house. Even while she soaks in the often perfect Spanish weather and looks on at the family she dreamed of having. Kind of by chance, Jane has fallen into coaching younger kids at the grassroots level. 
watching them gain their footing and enjoy being athletes. She has found herself thinking back to those most important lessons she learned. In the moments training all alone, the moments bawling in despair on national TV, and the moments crossing the finish line. And it frustrates me when these kids say to me, oh, I can't do it, I can't, I can't. I'm like, no, 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 I don't want to hear you can't. I just hear, I want to hear you can try. I'm going to try and do it. I'm going to try. And that's all. And, and not get down on yourself. We're all here to try. And, and it's such an education about life. You know, you get knocked down, but you get up again. You just got to keep going. And, and it, even if you, you fail, you call it a failure, it's still you had a go and you did your best. And at the end of the day, that's, that's all you can do, I suppose. You know, that's what life's about, is it? And really it is. Thank you to Jane Saville for coming on to the podcast. And thank you for listening. Before I sign off here, a quick announcement. I got a job. A full-time job with the Washington football team of the NFL. I'm going to be very busy starting September 8th. And I honestly don't know how much time I'll be able to dedicate to this precious project anymore. My goal, though, that I'll say right here to the listener is to publish one episode a month. I appreciate your patience and continued support as I get ready to take on yet another chapter of my life. Hope to see you next time.